everybody. Welcome back to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. This is episode 607, Plan and Execution. Plan and Execution. Awesome. This is the uh, this is the last episode of the first half of the season, and um, there's a lot to talk about. And this maybe this podcast sounds a little different because we're Joey Reinish is not here with us uh, today, and so I'm recording. Uh, I'm all on my own here trying to just you know make a make a living as a as a as a young podcaster scrapping at my roots why um, did he abandon us he's because he honestly he he's he, yeah he oh oh i was gonna make fun mother's of him but I, I couldn't um i couldn't think day. of a good one it is mother's day and he's out of town but um but you know who is here is our co-host and you know her you love her editor breaking bad better call saul and the uh, recently released, soon to be released, I don't know what date it is right now, Obi-Wan Fuck Kenobi yeah. series on Disney+. Di- Plus. It's Kelly Dixon. Woo! We- what? Yay! Yay! Dude, we just finished mixing yesterday. Like, I worked till 10 o'clock last night. 10 o'clock on a Saturday night to finish mixing the finale. Oh, um, man. But yeah, <clears throat> soon to be released, May 27th. Oh, I can't wait. Well, I who knows what date it is right now? It's Mother's Day. <laughs> well, no. It, well, in, in real life, it's Mother's Day. But in the world of the podcast. Uh, We're right in the range uh, there. I think yeah. this episode comes out right We're around. We're on the, yeah. the half-season finale, right? You guys. May, 20, May 24th. May 24th. Yeah may, oh, they, yeah, may 24th be with you. And in a couple of days, we got <laughs> Kelly's Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And um, and we got, you know, we have a lot of people to talk to. And, and first, as always, we have the co-creator of the show and executive producer, Peter Gould. Hey, hey now. Hey. <laughs> How's it going, Peter? It's going good. I, I you're, Chris, you're reminding me of Jerry Todd. And the only person on this podcast who's going to know what I'm talking about is Tom. So Jerry, just Google Jerry Todd, SCTV. Oh Rick Moranis. Man. Oh great, oh. fantastic. This that's there so are good. way worse people to be compared to than Rick Moranis. So that's awesome. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Vince Gilligan is not here today. Uh, where's in, Where's he? He's on assignment. He's He's embedded. <laughs> getting, Why is everyone leaving our podcast? He's getting our next story for the for the next episode. Um, he's deeply he's embedded. In the, he's in the uh, He's in the sewers of Albuquerque. Isn't that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, he's He's deeply embedded with Lalo in the sewers. Um, this this episode was uh, written and directed by Tom Schnauz, and uh, we've got not one, not two, not three, four special guests on this episode. It is a, it is a, it's a humdinger, as they say. It's a gonga. I don't know if they say that, but <laughs> do they um, say that they, they do now. It's a whole okay. thing that it's that a gonga. I'm trying it's to popularize thing. it. But we have uh, the the person I just mentioned, the writer director of this episode, Tom Schnauz. Yay! Yay! I'm gonna work. Uh, it's a ganga into my sex life. Just so you know. <laughs> he's he's a member of the talented motherfuckers club. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Kelly Dixon is president of that club. She is. She is definitely one. I don't know about that. I think that you actually started that. I I I don't think no, that no, I was. It was all you. No, I don't think that you, was the first one. I think it was like. Like Sam Catlin was part of that. It was like way back. Then. Anyway, fuck it. You know, you're a talented motherfucker. You really are, dude. As are you. I, can, Thank you. I concur. Not uh, to mention all of y'all are talented motherfuckers, so you know. Well, I don't we don't even know who else is on the show, so I'm gonna tell you. Um and uh, all three of these people are making their podcast debut for the season. First, and I'm just I'm going in, in order in my 
uh, Zoom window because we live in a digital void. He's been the director of photography on the show for several seasons. And you guys, he's the director of photography of this episode. It's Marshall Adams. Yeah. Very cool, man. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's, it's really good. nice to be here. I definitely, I, I think uh, Tom said it before we started, but I have microphone envy as well with that. That thing is, wow. that thing is awesome looking. Yeah. Well, I think it looks better than it sounds. Or, well, I don't know. Hopefully it's the I, other way around. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, that's, I mean, the, the business end is really the sound on that thing. So that's, yeah, right. Uh, and speaking of sound, I think this is your first time ever on the podcast. This is my first time. Uh, she no is the ADR supervisor and uh, as Aaron Paul called her, the ADR goddess. But she's so much more than that. She's the boss, as we were saying just before we started. It's Katherine Madsen. Yay! Yay! Hello, darlings. Hello. That's great to see you. It's great to have you. We, we, we only this, is turning get... into, this is turning into an episode of Match Game, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll do like a 10-minute intro, and then we'll just wrap it up. Um, and speaking of wrapping it up, um, our final special guest... And and uh, also making his debut for the season, y- you just saw some really terrible things happen to him. Aww. We've been saying it for quite a while, and now people can finally know what we what we mean when we say "poor Howard." It's messed up. Uh, it is super it's messed, messed up. up. I'm glad but- we're starting with dessert on this one because you know. Y'all know the show. I did not. This was a complete surprise for me. I mean, I even wrote my notes. God damn it! What the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you you can imagine what the 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 man behind the man would say. It's Patrick Fabian. Hey, Patrick. I'd say Ganga. I'd say Ganga. That's the only thing to say. It's It's catching on. It is catching on. Right. This is messed up. Yeah, it's. I I was disturbed. I I even texted you, Chris. I was like, "What? What? You did? What? It really it it did depress me." For, you know, about a day or so. And then I kept coming back to it. I kept thinking right? about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's oppressed me reading the script, too. I was I was so upset. I'm still upset. Well, qu- uh, quite frankly, had you told me you were calling it plan and execution, I wouldn't have shown up to set. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that now uh, let's uh, let's get into the nitty gritty of production. Like, is that a, is that a tactic that actors can use if they don't want to get killed <laughs> off? They just don't show up. <laughs> they don't yes. show up. Uh, not, not, not this actor. I don't think I have that kind of juice, but that's all right. <laughs> you just don't know that you have the juice. That's all. <laughs> the disadvantage a little bit of the podcast is that so uh, Patrick and, and I Maybe Marshall. I don't know if if you've seen the episode as it's finished. Have you seen it? I'm pretty close. Yeah, I mean the color timing. It's pretty close. It's usually missing a couple of effects things, but that's about it, and and some other sounds. But uh, yeah, I, I've seen it. Well, awesome. Yeah, and it's it is such a great episode. And Patrick, I don't know if you are an actor who does watch or doesn't watch their performances, but man, I, are you Howard has leveled up so high in this in this episode and you you just killed it it's so i so good thank you and then and then they killed mean? me Wait, so you know <laughs> he, he, he killed, he killed it, it yeah it was, okay. oh. and just i did get a chance to see it because uh catherine when i was uh, going in for some adr for some some grunts and, and and efforting as they say um was kind enough to say would you like to see some of this 
Would you like to see some of it? And you really ought to watch this. And by the way, not every ADR session you go to, they say, yeah, we'll take some time out and watch this scene again and let you watch it. So I took advantage of being able to watch uh, the final scene, uh, top to bottom, uh, on the big screen with just Catherine and I in the room, really. And, and I have to say, even though I read the script and I actually participated in acting the actual scene and being filmed, uh, when it came and when it finally happened at the end, I was also shocked and I literally sort of like went to, you know, my, my hands went to my knees. I sort of bent over because it was a really cathartic, it was very cathartic to sort of see the end and have it be the end of so many multiple things, you know, layer wise and all that. But man, oh man, I'm yikes, sad. Tommy, 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 Tommy. I'm, I'm just glad, look at Tom grinning. Yes, I'm glad you got to do it, Tom. Yeah, why, do you, why do you hurt us like this, Tom? <laughs> it's a group effort. I know my name is on... <laughs> written the episode, but all the writers uh, worked together to, to. And this was not when we wrote this. You know, we thought we were airing thirteen in a row. This was not meant to be the mid-season cliffhanger. It just sort of happened. Oh like, wow! Like wow. that. So um, it just landed in a point uh, in this in the series where uh, when AMC does, with uh, with all of our many delays that we had decided to to split the season into two it just happened to fall right here and for the record the reason it was split in two is because we literally wouldn't be able to finish the show and get them on the air in consecutive order so we had to work in this is it what's like a six week break or something like that yeah as diane always says to me because uh, we are very uh, diligent about wearing masks and staying COVID free. She she tells us if any one of us gets COVID, anyone on the anyone on the soundstage gets COVID, we are not going to make our air dates. Wow. <laughs> so uh, that's how tight it is. Even even with all the delays, it is still that tight. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, which is really unusual for us. You know, usually <laughs> usually uh, by the time by the time we air. Anyway, there you go. Let, let's just let's dive into this episode. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, you Seriously, got what you got. We really do have to talk about the end because the bad part oh, about sure. the, our, our podcast is we always like, you know, we, we we never get to the end a lot of times. And the end to me is like really super important here. Um, I'm curious, Peter and Tom, I, I this really did hit me hard. I just wonder why this had to happen. I mean, not not just for the dramatic effect, but story-wise, and I felt really bad for Howard, especially with Jimmy and Kim just hammering, hammering, hammering him. Why? What was the thought in in the beginning uh, for this one? Uh, I mean, Jimmy should have learned his lesson with what happened to Chuck. You know, he he messed with his insurance, and all the dominoes fell, and it led to Chuck's suicide. Yeah. So there's. Jimmy resisted doing this scam with with Kim. Yeah. Kim not really knowing the full information about uh, all of Jimmy's guilt about Chuck. You know, Howard took on that responsibility of Chuck's death. And Jimmy resisted on some level. I think it was because of what happened to Chuck. But he was losing Kim in the process. So he decided to go along. Um, and we felt like there had to be really bad consequences to what these guys are doing. And Kim keeps thinking she's doing it for a good reason. And there's these blinders on and they're not seeing the unintended consequences. And we felt for the progression to Saul Goodman and just everything that they've done, something really, really horrible had to happen. And it was the, 
the colliding of the two worlds, the cartel world and the legal world and the stuff we're doing to Howard. And we felt like we just, as a group, felt like this was the best way to, you know, really have some horrible consequences for their actions. I mean, just the, they, you know, she thought she'd be able to take Howard down and he'd get, you know, get a little bruised, but he'd be back on his feet. Well, I think we, we just felt we had to show these characters how wrong they were and what they were doing was really, really despicable. Cause I think a lot of us, even I, when I, when I watch it, I, and I see Howard fall for the, uh, you know, the mustache scam and, and the, the real guy comes in the room and he's just, has just seen the photos and he's, I'm laughing and I'm, I'm, I'm really with Jimmy and Kim on this ride. And I feel like I need to get punched in the face and the audience needs to get you know, slapped around a little bit to see, you know, you shouldn't be laughing at this. This is horrible. <laughs> so I think part of, part of this horrible ending is just to, to show that, you know, these, these, fun games have consequences. Yeah, it's such a well-executed scam, too. I mean, it goes off absolutely perfectly. You couldn't have hoped for a better reaction. Oh, the look. Oh, my God, Patrick. The look on Howard's face when he sees Casimiro walk in and he's just, it, it's just, it's like, he's so, he's so angry. He's so certain of what's going I It's, fuck, that's such a good scene. Oh my I believe God. I believe uh, we call that the puckered asshole look from acting class. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. There's I I, I we talking about um, the death of a character is is uh you know it's a big it's a big moment especially for someone who we love as much as we love Patrick and 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 we love Howard and is you know we love Howard. It, it's interesting because you you know the show started. He was sort of the bad guy. He was sort of the uh, the obstacle to Jimmy. And this season especially, I feel like we've really gotten under this guy's skin. And, uh, you know, for, for a showrunner, it's a, it's a tough thing because, you know, there's, there's all kinds of dimensions to this. Uh, and so, you know, Vince and I called Patrick, I think before we started shooting. Yes. And we said, we said, this is, this is what's, this is what's going to happen. Now, something that some of our listeners may know is that when you're you were in Albuquerque for the show, you lived with Bob and Ray. And I have to say, I think Patrick, you could be in the CIA because Bob and Ray had absolutely no idea. And when I mentioned wow. right, when the, this pretty much, I forget it was before the script came out, but uh, Bob and Ray found out what was going to happen, and Bob was like, "Have you told Patrick? Does Patrick know?" <laughs> Because they were both, and Ray was the same way, they were both absolutely convinced that you didn't know. That's how well you kept the secret. So uh, all well, I got to say is if, if you want to entrust a secret to somebody, Patrick Fabian is the man. Well, I've gotten pretty good, pretty well trained from season one on to keep my work at work and not say anything to anybody. Like I said, you're like my wife and all my friends, I just don't talk about the show. You know, you don't talk about Fight Club, right? And um, <laughs> But when I got that call, you know, first of all, the fact that Howard has managed to, to Kelly's question of like, why would you do this to this character? What was the purpose? Uh, every year at the end of every uh, season, I would think, well, what's Howard's purpose? And is there a purpose for him to come back into storytelling? Because I know you guys always write for where the story takes you, not just because you want to keep somebody around because he's fun on set. And, um, and so I was always glad because that I'm not a writer, because every year at the end of the year, I'm like, well, I don't see any reason why Howard's coming back. You know, and every year you'd be like, no, no, there's another reason. And then to lead up to this, 
Uh, nonetheless, when I get a call from you and Vince, and I think Melissa Bernstein was on that call as well, when the three of you right. call and leave a message saying, hey, call me back, we'd like to talk to you. There's always that feeling. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what, now? Now you're calling me? So it was an exit from the show. It was just not the way I expected it. And, um, you know, getting that information in advance, which is the first time I got any information in advance on the show, <laughs> was actually great because it did help inform uh, things uh, as I did scenes, I think you know, at least knowing that there was a, a finite area. If anything, I was smelling the roses a lot more, both physically as a character and also as an actor on set as we were leading up to it until the, until the episode dropped. Yeah, you know, you know, it's a difficult phone call or a, a fraught phone call if, if Melissa's on it too. Uh, because, 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 you know, if anything goes off the rails, there's this one person who's always going to bring it, bring it back onto the rails, and that's Melissa Bernstein. I got one more question. Um, I'm sure that at the end of the season, which I have not seen yet, um, we'll do a download on, I'm sure, because this is going to be over, so do a download on all of this. But um, when you guys came into the writer's room, I know that there's a lot of things you don't know, you know, but did you know this? At the start of the season? No, I don't think we knew. Oh, wow. I don't think we knew that uh, Howard was going to die. I think... As we were working on the first couple of episodes, there was a shape to the season, which you yeah. have not seen. You have not seen even, I mean, at this point, I don't know. You have not seen a lot of what we talked about those first few weeks. And there's a few things that I'm really proud of. And that I think uh, the story, I'm just so proud of the storytelling of the season and what we all came up with together. And I, I believe, I don't know if this particular moment was was we had how early on we had it but we had it fairly early on because i think we felt you know jimmy and kim scamming uh it just could we couldn't do enough pull off they couldn't pull off this thing clean this just this wouldn't it wasn't there have to it's everything tom just said it's it's the it's there's got to be consequences yeah. i mean not to not to, and i i think this the 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 parallel i'd make is um the train heist on Breaking Bad, uh, and which was kind of a, a different thing for us because we had the whole train heist, and we we came up with this. You know, we were very excited about this this heist. We were excited about uh, uh, George, especially, was excited about using a train because it was originally a truck, and he says we've done trucks, we can't do trucks again. So he was he was very excited about that, and we came up with this elaborate thing, and then it was um, it was empty. And then, you know, the consequences came in. And I don't think this is the same, but there's a parallel in that once you start taking, uh, and I think this is, you know, maybe one of the things that Jimmy and Kim are doing is they're taking, they're deciding they're going to be the arbiters of what's right and wrong. And they're going to, uh, they're going to make things happen uh, as they see fit. And I think, you know, once you start, you know, breaking out of, uh, the, the the rules of society and taking taking right and wrong in your own hands, you're responsible for all the consequences because you weren't playing by the rules. Uh, you weren't playing by moment your moment to moment morality. You were saying the ends justify the means, and uh, so I don't know. There's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of elements of uh, of, of uh, this is the kind of stuff we talk about endlessly in the writers. You sound room. like you sound like Chuck McGill talking there. <laughs> I do. Like. I have. Well, Chuck's not wrong, but he's, you know, he's, uh, he also lacks uh, the milk of human kindness. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. I, I do sound like Chuck, don't I? Well, there you go. Did you, did, ah! you, did you guys, there's electricity all over here. <laughs> did you guys know that Lalo was the one that was going to do it or 
did that was that kind of serendipitous as you kind of went along the the road? Yeah, it's it's so hard to say. I mean, like like Peter said, at the we knew something bad was going to happen. We just, I, just, oh, okay. I don't think we knew what. And like we we didn't know what the scam was. We talked about bringing the skate rats back from from season one and doing like a you know, the the whole thing was that we we were going to have it looked like Howard ran into one of them and then we were going to do a cowboy switch and the other one was going to be over the side of a bridge with blood all over him. Um, and it was, just, we talked about all this crazy different things. So we knew something bad was going to happen. It's just, we didn't know what, and just kind of worked out as it went along that it just felt like the same way, you know, the cartel and the, and the legal world came together in past seasons. We've really felt like we needed to, to rejoin them together here. And it just, that's where, that's where Lalo walking back into the condo, like he did in, in 509, uh, last season just came back. It just felt like he needed to return and confront Jimmy in some way. Uh, because even though he left the condo in 509, he knew he didn't have proof something was wrong. Kim certainly talked him out of it. Like, what, what, what are you getting at with this? What are you, what are you hoping to find? And Lalo had a tickle. He knew something was wrong and then he wasn't being told the truth, but is it worth killing these guys now? No, I'll let the, I'll let the cockroach live. And he walked out. But uh, once everything went down at his at his house, he knew something something led back to the Jimmy and Kim story for yeah. him. So it just made sense for him to return and to return at a at a horrible time for Howard. Okay, so um, Chris, I I know that I wanted to go to the end first, and I'm glad that we got some of that insight. But obviously, you want let's well, probably you go and jump to the beginning because. Well, this whole manhole thing is kind of interesting. It's sort of it's sort of like vintage Breaking yeah. Bad. I so enjoyed it. It's and boy, is there some great photography in this episode. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, start starting with the teaser, and and there's another scene in particular that I want to talk about. But yeah, what what was uh, I, I, Tom? I had a question, and I can't remember if we talked about this on the podcast. Was any of this, uh, Peter? You as well? Was any of this? sewer hidey hole thing inspired by that very strange thing that happened during production <laughs> <laughs> where all of a sudden just you guys were rolling and two people climbed out of a manhole cover and they had like a whole home <laughs> under the under in the sewer i think on some level it probably was inspired by that but i uh, you know we needed we needed lalo to be able to sit somewhere and watch the laundry without being detected. And I think that it's, it came from that. Uh, and we just, we knew, we thought, okay, he's in, he's in a sewer grate across the street with binoculars and we just backtracked from there. The first that, idea we had was that there was like some business, like a warehouse across the street. And he ended right. up, he ended up like uh, killing people and intimidating them. So he could, he could kind of make a set up an outpost up there. And it just became, uh, complicated in a way that didn't feel right, and so some, but I somehow somehow we landed the idea of uh, adding a storm drain. Which uh, Tom, do they actually have storm drains and sewers like this in Albuquerque? Not at all. No. Are you telling me that that is not a real storm drain? <laughs> no. If you go to that corner, there is no there is no storm drain there. What? That's all. <laughs> Digital, digitally, we shot uh, uh, Tony on stage with binoculars, looking out of a, a sewer grate that we built, and then we digitally married that onto the um the curb and uh marshaled you know lit this great you know, swing doll you know move craning up to see the the laundry is that uh, is it a kind of a callback to the clown in it 
<laughs> oh, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. It is. Yeah. I want to start printing out uh, pictures of Lala with binoculars and putting them on sewer grates. <laughs> I was out walking my dog a couple of weeks ago, and he would not. I just, you know, kind of jumped the curb at one. He would not jump the curb there. He had to go around that little thing. I'm like, Whoa. wow. Yeah, you never know if Lala's going to be down there with red balloons. Yeah, man. It's a nightmare. <laughs> I now always look when I see one of those storm drains, like, is Lala's head in there? <laughs> so we built that sewer system on stage. There was our, our amazing production team built this whole thing on stage. And uh, uh, I hate to give this away, but we reused uh, uh, Nacho's tanker because we were just so far behind production wise. And they, somebody had the great idea of reusing Nacho's tanker where he sinks into the oil. They cut the ends off that thing and, and, redesigned it into a sewer grate uh, oh, underground right. sewer tunnel You're using every part of the oil tanker every part of the, the proverbial yep. buffalo the buffalo yes yeah so marshall can certainly speak to to how he had to how to how do you deal with lighting yeah, what are the challenges confined... well i mean it all has to kind of come from the street it has to be motivated you know from somewhere else because there's no there's no electricity in there obviously it you know it floods etc um, so yeah, that was the, that was the thought behind it. You know, our, you know, our sodium vapor look that we love so much, you know, coming through grates, the, you know, and kind of spreading them out so it doesn't feel like it's too, it sure uh, was clean consistent. in there though. I mean, Albuquerque is clean. The sewer is clean down there. Well, when it rains really hard, you know, everything washes away. It was cool, though. You know what? I learned, I had, had no idea, because I, I did a double take when he gets to the truck stop because there's a shower and it looked nice. And I'm like, where can you do that? And then I'm like, oh, I bet you it's a truck stop. And so I, they have those there. I didn't realize. Oh, yeah. I stopped on, on all those frames and looked at the signs because it's like it says only two people and you get an hour. And I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. It was real. Yeah, it was real. We made it look a little nice. We put some soaps and things in there to make it look a little nicer. But uh, that that is the real place. You go oh, to that truck wow. stop. You go in the back and there's like eight showers you can rent. It looked really nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, they sell Chili Willy Pickles there, too. <laughs> is that a real brand, or is that what the name of your pickles are, Patrick? Those are not my... Oh. Chili Willy is not my pickles at all. Those would be Patrick's Perky Pickles, I believe, if we're doing it. If, I don't know if we've ever talked about that. Is that allowed... Are we allowed to talk about this? That About pickles? That, I think that's... it's. It seems like every year... And I, and not, you know, cause our post and the writer's room schedules are, you know, usually very, uh, not concurrent, but I, you know, it, we would get here and we would hear that, oh, Patrick was here like two weeks ago and he brought all these homemade pickles and, uh, they're they're amazing. They are amazing, and they are homemade. You know, I and I think this year we we did not get any. You know, COVID and all that stuff just knocked everything out of out of sorts, and that's my excuse that I'm hanging my hat on for this season. But <laughs> uh, I can still manage to wrestle up some Christmas pickles if, if need be. I've got one great picture. I think Mike uh, Mike uh, Behrman Trout also is in the picture with the pickles. Where the last time I was in the office with everybody there, when all the writers were there, that's oh, probably man. probably three years ago. I'd imagine, yeah. Oh my God! One thing that just to, just to say, there's one thing that I always find fascinating about these sets because uh, Denise and the whole production design team and construction do an amazing job on these sets, and they look great. But when you you know, I, I'm in I'm in Burbank, and I'm seeing like flash photos of what the sets look like, and they, you know, they they always look good, 
But then Marshall comes in and he adds magic. I mean, it's just, it's just because it goes from being, uh, it goes from being well textured walls, beautifully done to just, you know, cinema magic and having, having, uh, all this emotion to it. It's very interesting to me. Uh, and I've learned to kind of, I've learned to kind of take, uh, to, 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 to kind of set aside a little bit of what, you know, what, what are the sets going to look like? And then I said, well, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's still something important missing when I, what I'm seeing here. And it's, I just, Marshall, I just have to say, one of the things I love about the way you shoot these, uh, these night scenes is it feels very dark and mysterious and moody and has great emotion to it, but it's always crystal clear what the hell's going on. And, (laughs) and, uh, I, I, I thank you so much for uh, that. That's it's just it, we, there's never it's there's not an ambiguity to uh, to to who, who's where and what what's what's happening. And I, I'm just I just love that. Well, that's you know, well, thank you, Peter. I really appreciate that. That's again working side by side with the art department. You know, like where the uh, the manhole cover is, we must have put twenty streetlights along that along that road. So uh, you know it's wow. they keep a whole pile of them out in the back behind the studio and uh, <laughs> we bring them in as needed. So wow. it's it it works really well. Uh, well and Marshall, can you I, I can you confirm or deny this rumor that this entire <laughs> episode was shot on a Canon XL2? Uh, is that true? It was shot <laughs> sworn to on Josh Fadum's Canon XL2. I wanted that. I wanted that camera so bad. Me too. I wanted yeah. it so. I had a friend like, who had it. Like it. $4,000. It was too expensive at the yeah. time. Yeah. I had a, I had a PD-150 wow. at the time and then eventually the DVX-100. A or B, whenever they went twenty. And where are they now? Are they in your? Are they in your museum? Your personal museum? I mean, it's just so sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, standard definition. Rest in peace. Uh, well, I mean, and even then, he's uh, talking about exactly what we're talking about in, in that scene. Um, yeah. That you you don't get to use the good stuff because this yeah. is the expensive camera. You get this <laughs> shitty camera, which is you know that's what we always this one is like for artists. This one yeah, is for art. Yeah, not for you. The, but I I really no. But in seriousness, I want to talk about the some really dynamic photography in that sequence where with the the UNM kids and Jimmy and and director mm-hmm. Kim Wexler. And uh, <laughs> there, there's that that great those like spinning shots that are going around them. Talk about the the photography of that scene because it's so dynamic. Everything is happening all at once. The camera's moving a lot. I mean, way more than we normally you know move in in, in a scene. And um, talk talk about that whole sequence if you can. well. Tom had this idea right from the beginning that the moment we kind of left the building. Uh, it was all going to be in a single shot. So that was kind of our aim from the beginning, was to try to tie it all together into into a single uh, thread. Now, we broke it up a little bit, um, but, uh, but man, it was... It just fell in right from the beginning, you know. The, the you know you always have to time the the distance it, that uh, that the actors have to walk and make sure that it you know that it tracks for how what that distance is where we want to land for the ending and uh, man it just and crossing the street remember we had to block all the cars off and make sure nobody was going to run us over as we're going through um, but uh, yeah no it it was it was great uh, and we actually most of it was on Steadicam until the end there where we ended up on the dolly going round and round that's right Jurgen was our our workhorse for the beginning uh yeah he did he did the steady cam work uh all morning so i I think we pretty much shot the exit from the unm building um 
and the so it's, it was broken into three pieces it's the exit from the UNM building to Kim's arrival when we do a swish pan and Jimmy exits there's that's our first cut and uh our digital artists mix that together to make it look uh, blend uh very well and then we did a shot following Jimmy to Kim and pulling back with Kim and then wiping past sound guy's body which was our second piece and then I think we took lunch um and then Marshall has to deal with the sun being a whole uh, different position as we lay the track. I think we actually you laid the tracks down before lunch. We got it all set up so that we could come back from lunch and shoot right away the the roundy round part. Um, but still, with battling the sun and really having nowhere to put lights, but just have you know reflectors or, I mean, you got a team of people running around the dolly trying to to, to put in fill and 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 do sound, and it's just incredible and. Uh, I remember Jake, our, our key grip, uh, clamping things to trees, clamping extra branches and things to try to keep them in the shade, you yes. know, so it matched. From We were on the poles. There was a flagpole or a light pole there that we were rigging to. I mean, there was stuff just hanging everywhere, just out of frame. And there's, was, there's so much stuff that the actors are doing with the wrapping of the hands and searching for stuff that we were blessed to have everyone agree to come in on a Sunday and our prop people and, and, and you know, various crew and Marshall came to stage and we basically laid it out with tape on the floor saying this is where they're, they're sitting this is where they're coming from this is the distance so we did a rehearsal Jurgen was there too we did a rehearsal and he everyone practiced their parts so that when we got because the sunlight goes like that <laughs> um so you have to be on so when we got there Monday morning um we were just ready to go and, and we're, we were doing it um so we were that day we rehearsed the every, well, everybody doing their props of uh, um, camera guy, drama, drama girl and sound guy doing everything for the first half of the day. We took lunch and then Patrick was also there that day. And Patrick and Ray and Bob and Tony rehearsed the final scene and we did all those marks on stage. So we were ready for that scene. So that was it was just great to have rehearsal time, which which is something you don't always get. Oh yeah, with the ske television schedule, it's it's, no. it's so rare. And and I mean, that's but Patrick, you could probably speak to that too. Living in that house with with Bob and Ray, and they've talked about it on on the podcast before, and and I'm sure in interviews and stuff. That it's sort of like you guys take the time on the weekends, and you, you use that time. It's almost it's almost, it almost seems like like camp, but not not in like a childish way, but in like a, a communal way. What what was what is that like? You know, sort of like living in that world and being immersed in it all the time. <laughs> well, you're right. It's it's like camp. It's like it's like band camp. It's like a fraternity, and uh, you know, it's we would go to work, and then when we come back from work, we'd end up. You know, we had a house to live in, but of course, we'd end up in the kitchen around the kitchen table, and uh, we'd talk about the day's work. And then what we always we always had this habit of uh, doing who has work tomorrow. What's the next day? What's the next two three days out? And we would run scenes and we would run, we'd run lines. We'd all play all the characters and do all that stuff. And then, then we'd go to bed. But that sort of work ethic was also instilled by Bob at the very beginning, who was very gracious about um, every guest star that would come in. Bob would reach out and then Ray would reach out. As, like when they would land, we'd like, hey, we'll come over to your hotel. We should rehearse. We should rehearse. Aww. And it was because, um, you know, we wanted to have whatever whatever work we had done first, we wanted to have that all comfortable because you've all been on set before where you get there and they're just meeting one another. Oh, hi, you're going to be playing the attorney. Oh, you're my attorney. And there's no time yeah. to have that talk and that actor background then. And if you get rid of that early and you sort of get rid of the, I'm meeting you, hi, we have a 
we have at least a spatial awareness of one another where you're not a new person, mm -hmm. it helps. And I know as being a guest star, uh, for years and years and years, that's my bread and butter. You know, I know what it's like to go into a set that is warm and welcoming, and I know what it's like to go on a set that is a machine unto itself, and you are literally only the cog of the week. And that's a difficult situation to go into because, you know, we're living, breathing, ego-based uh, things. So, look, I'm a big rehearsal fan. The more you rehearse, the better you are because the more you rehearse, when you get on set and all of a sudden you discover Marshall's lighting you like this and the gesture and the thing that you thought you were going to do doesn't work. Or Tom's like, mm, I like that, but can we, can we mix it up? I'm a big fan of if you know your bass, you can play. But if you don't right. have your bass down and you don't have, I mean, just in a word practicality, just to go rehearse with somebody and have your words down, then we can go somewhere. But if you're searching for the words or you're too busy going, oh, I'm on Better Call Saul guest starring and you're freaking out because people do, right? Uh, that doesn't help you. And uh, that's always been a, a hallmark of the show. And it's a habit that I will certainly take forward as well. And uh, it's not on all shows, but it certainly was on this one. You know, what's interesting to me is that, you know, so you guys do all the rehearsing. And before that, you spend all that time writing. But sometimes when we get in the edit room, we find, you know what, we need we need another line here or this line, maybe it doesn't land the way we want it. And so, you know, we'll, we'll write new dialogue in, in the room and, and we'll, and we'll do, we'll temp it in. I, the way I do it is I'll just like record it on my iPhone and uh, you know, so, so you'll be watching a scene and then suddenly it's not Bob Odenkirk anymore. It's me, which is very jarring. Uh, probably, <laughs> probably to no one more than me. And, um, and well, you do a good job at it. Well, thanks. I, I, it's fun for me, but, but then that stuff has to get actually replaced by the real actors because, you know, if you heard, oh, if you heard, I see what you heard my voice. Oh, you, you see that I'm transitioning <laughs> to bring Catherine into the conversation. I see what you're doing. Um, but so <laughs> it's a very good it's, transition. It's this, it's, it, but it's like this sort of unseen, unknown thing. I mean, you wouldn't know. And I, I, I have no idea because I didn't edit this episode. Skip McDonald edited this episode. And, uh, I don't know how much ADR, how much, how many, you know, th lines were re-recorded because of technical issues or additional dialogue that was written. But I know in episode six, the previous last week's episode, there's there's a lot. There there were just a, a some things that we had to you know redo or shore up or or a lot of times if things get cut down, you need to rewrite certain bits of dialogue and and then it all has to sound right. And that's the performance. That's the way it sounds. And that's you, Catherine. Yeah, ADR is the biggest part of my job. And it's also my favorite part of the job. Um, and it is. It's, it's after you editors and the director and our fearless showrunner have gone through all of the amazing footage and have crafted a cut and made these episodes into the incredible works of art that they are. Um, and then the ADR is any additional recording of dialogue that we then add to help tell the story. And it can be not only dialogue, it can be efforts or breaths or Patrick did some humming in Ray's episode. Oh, and yeah. that was really fun. <laughs> He's got a great voice. So <laughs> I just sit back and enjoy. And uh, yeah, ADR can be done for a few different reasons. It can be done to add to the story, to enhance a performance 
or it can be used to fix any problems with the dialogue or any problems that were recorded on the set like a right camera right or like you know if some crickets get together and say hey guys tonight's our night to shine <laughs> like happened with uh nacho and lalo in the season finale of 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 last season um, or like when the goats decided to have a conversation with Giancarlo. Oh my God. <laughs> I kept saying rap. They wanted to rap. I think, I think we talked about that on the podcast. That was so funny. I, I wonder if it made it into the gag reel for season five. It I don't remember. did. It's I've, so funny. I watched that. It is hilarious. They are straight up talking to Giancarlo in between his lines and how he held it together. I, I still don't know. Oh, we're actually coming real quick. I just want to uh, follow up on some questions that I've gotten about last week's podcast about Giancarlo. I pronounce his name Giancarlo Esposito. And some people have said, isn't it Esposito? And Giancarlo told me to pronounce it that way. I've always said Giancarlo Esposito my whole life. And he actually in season five podcast told me to pronounce it Esposito. So that's how that's just for people who've asked that that's Giancarlo asked me to pronounce it that way. Um, and that's so, funny because he always asked me to just call him sir. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would happily I'd be happy to do that. But uh, so either either he pronounces it uh, a couple different ways or or he's having a good time with me and we'll we'll never know. <laughs> so automated dialogue replacement is that what it okay yeah but what I mean, the hell is automated about it nowadays that'll, that'll make you want to fall asleep so we just call it adr because it's more cool but what is automated <laughs> about it now it's it's not that's the thing it's a it's misnomer not, it is yeah. not automated um no so yeah, can i speak can i speak to that for a second because it, it, it's funny um uh, ADR can be fraught with anxiety for an actor when you go in because you're being asked to sort of redo your performance sometimes and sometimes some very emotional moments. Some people have, you know, like you said, there's crickets or goats or something all over your stuff and you have to like recreate that moment that you sort of worked up there and the thing. And it's really important that when you're in that room and in that space that the person there gets that. And uh, Catherine's great at that. Catherine's great at making you feel uh, that you're in a space where you can, you know, do your thing. And because you're not in wardrobe, and you're not on set and you haven't had this run up of scene work or anything. You're literally just coming in and trying to throw a dart, you know, 50 yards down the path. And it, it really, it's really important to have somebody who supports that. And if you're, you're starting to do takes and you can sense that it's not quite it, she's really good at gently maneuvering you to your best performance, maneuvering you to where you need to be. And uh, the encouragement you get from her, like once you're finally on it, and you can sort of feel it. She's like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that again. That's good. Could you expand that? Her dialogue, her, the way that she directs you basically and gets it out of you is, is very important. She's great at it. And I just want to say thank you very much for that. Oh, thank you, Patrick. <laughs> I have to say this, this cast is phenomenal at, at coming in and like even in ADR, because like Patrick was saying, it can be really difficult sometimes but man, like, you know, Bob, Ray, Giancarlo, Patrick, you know, Mando, Tony, they bring their A game every time. You didn't mention ADR. Jonathan Banks in that list. And see, Jonathan Banks. see a problem? Oh my gosh, I'm in so much trouble. Yeah, who, who brings their B game? Yeah, who's the B game? Just dish. Let's let it 
Let's let's no, hear it. No, everyone is like, <laughs> and I actually think that's one of the things that makes this show so good is everyone kind of inspires everyone else. Like seriously, the actors inspire me because you know they they do they bring their A game, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna bring my A game too. And I just think that's one of the things that makes the show so good. We just all inspire each other to do the best we can. Catherine, can I ask you? It's I, beautiful. I, you're so good at ADR, but the thing, you guys are magicians to me. You guys do such great work on the soundstage. What amazes me is when you say, we're having trouble hearing something and there's a, either a garbled word or something, and you say, I think I can dig that out. And then suddenly something that we've been listening to that we couldn't understand is suddenly clear. How the hell do you do that? I mean, what is that? She's fucking I good. mean, she's fucking good. <laughs> just looking good. Yeah, no, I took a page from Patrick. Just good. show up and look good. Fucking, no, you're fucking good. Because that was my next question. Are you also a dialogue editor? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I actually got really good at fixing dialogue to please Mr. Vince Gilligan on Breaking Bad. I got really, really good at it. And you can take just little pieces of different takes and put them to, in to fix a word, and uh, you can make it so much more clear. It's amazing. It's really amazing. It's an example oh, from you. last week's episode. Um, there was a, a, a Jonathan Banks. He, he was saying the word bull, and he was talking about uh, the, uh, a constellation. And it, it, one one of the times when he said it, the in the take that we're using, it, it, it the L wasn't quite there. To, oh, and to some people, I heard it, but to some people, it sounded like bow. And you were able through your wizardry to uh, to 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 get just a little bit of L, and it just it just enhanced the the clarity of it that much more. And it it, it is it does seem like like dark magic sometimes that you're doing <laughs> for sure but it but it's mostly invisible because most people will never know that, no. that you had to even do that work i mean it's it's just i mean i i don't mean to go down the rabbit hole on this but i just kind of wanted to clarify for all all the people that yes there is dialogue replacement yes Catherine runs it in the room in the in the um uh i guess uh i don't know studio studio um, Studio, yeah. and, and then you also go in and you start working with the performances each each time they redo that line and you put a, a performance together that is totally separate from what we're doing as editors. It happens later, but then it happens for the mixing stage. Yeah. The one thing I'd like to add, though, is that we get we watch these episodes, we watch these scenes over and over and over again in editing. And then... Uh, you get used to certain things, and then the work that Catherine and the rest of the sound team does, it's like a veil gets opened over the scene. Uh, some, sometimes it just feels like uh, something that wasn't crisp or clean or just dramatically clear. And I'm not, I'm not talking about technical the technical side, it's just, it's just your perception of it. So it may, it may sound like we're talking about stuff that you know, only you know, someone who has, you know, the high end uh, stereo would notice, but it, that's not it at all. It's the um, it's it's just the clarity of the scene, and it's the understanding of what's going on with the characters, just is elevated by by the work that Catherine's doing. It may sound like to, uh, when we talk about it, it may sound like oh well, that word was missing a, a consonant or something like that, which is kind of technically what we're talking about. But there's something else that goes on, and Catherine has 
such a sensitivity to the performances and to who the characters are uh, uh, that it, it just it just elevates elevates the show and that's why one reason why uh, it never it, it you know I'm kind of seeing it in pieces uh, myself uh, the show and then once we get on the um, the stage and we have the color corrected image and we have uh, you know all the great editing that's been done and then on top of that we get the the, the sound that's when it suddenly it becomes uh, a full experience and it's just it's it's super special yeah it's it's an amazing yeah when you get to the mix stage and everything is put together and you know we've got dave porter's music and the sound and it's 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 magic uh i i just want to make sure that we get to all of this because so much happens in this episode um this is the episode that we're now starting to see how all this plan that we didn't really understand is coming together. Like, I think last week I, I kind of talked to you guys about, okay, I, I'm sort of getting the impression that I'm not really supposed to know because I, I keep going over these things going, was I, wait, was I, did I miss something? Did I, did I <laughs> let me go back an episode and check. And I'm like, no. So, so this is the episode where we realize, ooh, the PI is crooked and he's in with Jimmy, not, he's not Howard's guy. Yep. He's like Jimmy's guy. And then, um, you know, basically we go to the whole, um, I don't remember the guy's name, but, you know, the guy who's the lookalike for the judge, the mediator. Oh, the actor the John lookalike. Ennis? No, no, I just, no. the Casimiro. character. Casimiro? Casimiro. Yeah. Casimiro's the judge, uh, Jen Adowski is the P.I. Yeah. And, and so. Lenny is oh, the actor. The, so, yeah, but it's like. So we're starting to see how this whole thing that they've been planning over weeks and weeks or no, uh, for, for episodes and episodes that we're starting to see it. But what I thought was kind of interesting was how fast Howard could put it together. Like Howard is right on it. He like knew he's like, oh, no, he's I mean, Howard is a smart guy. And I and I don't want to brush past that scene either because Patrick does amazing work in the conference room and at, at the end when he goes to the condo. But he also had this big information dump which was expelling out the plan for the audience and for, for Cliff Maine, the great Ed, Ed Begley Jr. Um, right. Patrick has to go through all this and, and pretty much put all the pieces together for us, which is, which is a lot. It's, it's they, they switched the number for the detective agency. When they, when they knew that I would need a detective, they called in a, a fake number saying, oh, we're updating our system. And you know, he has all this information that he needs to spell out that he's figured out and he knows the whole plan. And part of the trick as we had as writers was that we knew Howard was going to figure this out. But by the time he did figure it out, it had to come had to have come at a point where it totally screws the case up. And even if Cliff believes him, believes him, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's that was the, the trickiest part of of making Jimmy and Kim win this is that Howard is going to figure this out. I mean, he's going to know exactly what happened and he can't come back from that moment. So anyway, I just wanted to credit Patrick with, with such a great scene uh, that, that, uh, that information dump scene was also incredibly well, you know, Tom, hard to I, do. I remember on the day though, I remember I was, uh, I, I, I put on my Ray Seahorn cloak that day and I had a lot of questions about what was going on because of that very thing. Cause I recognized it was hard. Uh, it was hard to, uh, it's a lot of dump. And it's got to be specific. But, you know, again, I've answered this in a lot of the press that we've done for the show over the years. The great thing is, is that the writers give you the blueprint. They give you the stuff. And so my job was just to find the emotion levels and between me and Tom and Tom 
you know, driving me up, driving me down and getting the pacing right. And you're right, having Ed Bagley there as sort of the sphinx as I'm working against him. Because the more, the more frantically I'm trying to plead my case, the more sort of ridiculous I know yeah. it sounds through his eyes. And yet I know I'm right. And to your point, Howard does figure it out because he is intelligent. He might be vainglorious. He might be a bit shiny and vapid, but he ain't stupid. You know what? He's not stupid. He's never been stupid. And so this is that moment where all of that comes to bear. But as Tom points out, it all comes to bear for not. It's a it's it's a a, dollar, a day late and a dollar short. It reminds me. Uh, it's it's interesting the way that Jimmy and now Jimmy and Kim construct these these scams, these plans in such a way that they are simultaneously working the person and then gaslighting everybody else into into thinking like you're crazy you're crazy that you think that because because chuck similarly chuck in season two he he figured out like pretty much every element of the the switching of the 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 address scam yeah the magna carta yeah the, yeah <laughs> and he says it all out loud as it's like gotcha and we know well you did you did get him and they're just like do you know how crazy that sounds? That sounds crazy. That why who would do that? That's so insane. Yeah. And this plan is even so much more elaborate. And I yeah. yeah. And but but Chuck didn't have that humility to say like I know this sounds. I I know what I, I as I say it out loud. I know that this sounds crazy. But I I love that moment too. I love that you built that moment in. Yeah. And it. But one of the things too that um that I feel like you were doing as writers is that you wanted to get to the point, just like you said, where Howard figures it out, but it doesn't matter, or how, or Cliff, even if he convinces Cliff, it doesn't really matter, but also to get to the moment where Howard knows that it's Jimmy, and Jimmy and Kim want him to know. And you guys as writers were saying, we want you to know what they did. It's almost like at the point, it's not really, but sort of like at the point um, in episode three, when Mando was telling Tio, I put you there. I want you to know in my last thing that I did this to you. So it's almost like as writers, you wanted to also, I feel like you guys wanted to also get to the moment where Howard knows that's Jimmy and Kim and they want him to know that. And you want the audience to know that too. Is that sort of correct? That's tough if that's what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, that's I mean, hard. again, it's Howard is very smart. And Cliff is going to get all this information about my friend is a drug addict. He's not going to stay quiet on this. We know Cliff is going to go to Howard at some point and say, buddy, what's the deal? What's going on? And, and Howard's going to be like, wait a minute. What, what do you think? Wait a minute. You think this, this, and this? Oh, Jimmy McGill. He's up to something. He's, he's already done the prostitutes and the bowling balls in my car. This is, this is more of that. I'm going to put an end to this. So, I mean, I think Jimmy and Kim just knew that, Howard was going to get wind of this somehow, some way, and they had to be prepared for it. And they were. Yeah. Okay. The ginger ale trick. I haven't tried it yet. I can't <laughs> wait to try it. Is I, I always learn little, th even when I'm Breaking Bad, we learn little tidbits. Where did that come from? Did Vince like read that in popular? No, that's where, my dad, that my dad from? taught me that. That was, oh, uh, that yeah. was not, that was not even, <laughs> I don't even think that was pitched in the room. I feel like I might've put that in the script. I have to go back and look at the cards, but I feel like, I don't know, Peter, when you read that, was a, was that new to you or was that something we talked about? I, I, I can't, can't remember. remember. I just know I love it. And uh, yeah, is, is, it, is that, does it work? that real? Does it work? Yeah. I, my dad did. He shook a can up and he put it down and he just spun it slowly and then cracked it open. And 
and it didn't blow. So it is how, really how the centrifugal force. Work? How long do you have to spin it? <laughs> how long does it have to spin? Yeah, I don't. I, I don't how remember. I mean, I know I have. I have done it, and uh, and it. And it works. So Are you going to teach oh, your boys? Yeah. You're going to pass this on That's, to the next generation? I will, I will do it someday. I don't even think now they, they're at the age they don't even understand uh, that if you shake up a can of soda that it will explode. So let's get to that first and then I'll teach them the other thing. Oh, they'll learn. They'll definitely learn that. I learned that the hard way. I still learn that the hard way sometimes. I was going to say, Marshall, so when you guys shoot uh, at Kim and Jimmy's condo, so that must be pretty easy, right? You just, all the lights are there and it's just a, you know, it's just a house, right? So it's all lit. Is that how, is that <laughs> no. how lighting works? No, no, unfortunately it doesn't. <laughs> well, you know, it's nice to, to be able to take them all as individual cases, but no, I mean, some of the stuff is there. It, it's easier because we have access to the grid and things that we can rig from and stuff like that. But, but, that's but no, a set, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, right. I don't know. I'll talk to Mike, Mike, you can, you can, you tell me what you're going to do, but um, you know, Mike, got to visit the set uh, this this year and uh, maybe he'll post a picture from from the living room of him on the couch. Maybe, maybe Mike, you want to maybe that? Yeah, sure. Cool. Um, so, yeah. So but how what what is the 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 the, the process when you when you are shooting on these locations that we come back to again and again and again? It, it always looks a little different it, and it and it, it you know, you sort of take liberties depending on the scene and and um this how what is the approach to to shooting in these places that we see all the time but make making it feel fresh and appropriate for each scene well it's a great question i mean that you know the definitely the 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 story obviously weighs heavily on all of us you know we want to make sure that that whatever i know I, especially you know for lighting i try to make sure that that it it brings the story across as best as possible but it also has to do with different lighting conditions. You know, the sun is different here. The clouds are different here all the time. It's overcast. It's sunny. It's a different time of day that we're attacking a particular scene. So, uh, so there are always kind of different challenges and different lighting conditions. Uh, you know, that conference room, the HHN conference room, has is, is always been uh, a, a tough nut to crack. You know, we've got lights outside. It's two floors up. Uh, we're putting, you know, double nets over the windows. We've, you know, we're and constantly in shooting a battle over there. And you have to sh you're shooting over several days and we had rain and, uh, you know, things don't match, but somehow you make it look everything. You make it look like one continuous moment, which is incredible. Well, thanks, man. It was uh, that was a challenge. That, and that set's always been a been a, a real tough one. But uh, but, it, you know, I really enjoyed it in there. It's it's such a cool room. So I, I never see you take notes, but I know some who is responsible for for remembering the lighting setups for. Because you come back to these places and you want to know, well, what did we do last time? Or, I mean, you don't always light it the same, but you kind of fall back onto uh, what do we do before and how do we either build on that? Who's responsible for keeping track of, of that? So it's actually split into two. Uh, it's actually Steve Latecki, our, my gaffer, um, and his best boy, Waylon Brady, um, and uh, and the board op, Sarah. Um, if anything is programmed into the board, it gets saved forever. We can refer back to it uh, and ask Sarah about a scene from you know nine months ago, and she'll tell us exactly what levels were on every every particular light, wow. and then anything that doesn't run through there, uh, Waylon gets notes for. So, yeah, we've got it all recorded: color, gel, uh, color balance, uh, all of it. It's it's amazing the, the notes that they take. It's uh, that's I awesome. I, I have a quick question, Marshall, or anybody really for, and we may have talked about this on the podcast before, but for people who don't know the terminology. 
what exactly does best boy mean? Because it, 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 I mean, I remember being a kid and and thinking like best boy, like I'm the best boy. You know, that's what. <laughs> My, <laughs> you know what, Chris? My mom Chris, you are. The best boy. Happy, my, happy in my mind, day, you are the man. best boy. Happy Mother's, happy Mother's day, day. You mom. are your Mother's yeah. Day. Uh, best boy. Hope you're enjoying the podcast, Mom. This one's for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but what? The, what? Just like quickly, what? What? What does that mean for people who are who have always wondered, like like I always? Do? So the two departments that work on the lighting with me uh, are the grip department and the electric department, and. If, to basically kind of sum it up, the electric department adds the light and the grip department takes it away. Um, so, um, and each of those departments, there's a key, uh, whether it be the gaffer or the key grip, and then uh, uh, they're second in charge, the person that does all the time cards, keeps all the notes, uh, and you know books extra equipment and people, that's their best boy. Um, I think it actually originates from from when there used to be like the oldest son of the the key, whoever the key was, you know? Wow. Uh, wow. So, yeah, and the gaff, I mean, even the gaffer, you know, that originates from the guy that used to carry a stick with a flame on the end of it when the, <laughs> when the, lit, lit, when the lamps were lit by flame. Yeah. What? <laughs> yep. That's crazy. I didn't know any of that. <laughs> I knew that it was the second in command, but I didn't know the history of it. That's wild. And just so people at home understand, yeah. when you say the grip department takes the light away, you're not taking, you're not talking about, oh, at the end, they physically take it down. You're talking about they're flagging or netting a light so it gives it shape. Yeah, the grip department has actually two responsibilities. Yeah, they, they, they flag it. They put solids up. We, you know, they do all kinds of things to kind of shape the light. But they're also uh, are in charge of any kind of camera support, uh, dollies. Uh, anything that has to do with with you know supporting the camera, whether it's building a, a twenty foot tower or or you know putting a wedge underneath a, a hi hat in the dirt, you know. What do you call it if it's a if it's a woman in that second? And well, that's Tunga. the problem, right? Yeah, <laughs> best girl. Best girl. Do they? I'm just curious. And that, there are that. a lot of great best girls around. I'm telling you, yeah, there's some fantastic right women best boys. So. Depend, you know, it's kind of up to them, and it's obviously it's an archaic term, but uh, it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. So, right. and I guess you can't call it the best man. So, you know, <laughs> I did a job a couple of years ago where the entire electric department was female. So, okay. uh, yeah. hey. so obviously we've got a few minutes left, Chris. We should probably talk about the Lalo side of this whole thing. Sure. With the with you know the the kind of I mean you go for it you I I did the 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 ginger ale boardroom Howard figured it out stuff so you go for the Lalo uh, Lalo's plan that he outwits Mike well yeah so he he hears that there's a bug on the phone when he calls Casa Tranquila when he's trying to talk to Hector and then he calls back and plants false information and he sees it in real time he sees it you know his plan you know work that he's able to to bend these guys and and make them do whatever he wants um what was the thinking with the cockroach and how did you get that how did you get that cockroach to act so well (laughs) they had had practice from the from the (laughs) x-files i i i I summoned the spirit of kim manners to get that cockroach to Mm. walk across uh, the pipe, just like we needed. Uh, we just had a cockroach wrangler, uh, bug wrangler, start the cockroach on one end, and then I sat there and hoped and prayed that it would walk through screen, uh, and then we would rack focus on time to Tony's reaction. And it was just a matter of being patient and just just letting it 
crawl through and sometimes it would go one way or the other and they just reset it and we do it over and over again and um i think there's a little bit of visual magic in that shot too i think the cockroach went real slow and i think skip sped it up to to walk through frame a little faster and i think once we once it exited we cut some time out so that the rack came faster to tony um so yeah it was just a matter of of just being patient when you're dealing with cockroaches or fish or dogs it was just you know keep rolling and hopefully we get something that works uh, and, and the, the origin of the idea though was that uh uh lalo called jimmy a cockroach last season you know he's a survivor he's a survivor uh you know with all you know for better or for worse yeah i love that i, lo- I also tom i did not assume that that was a real cockroach so i'm color color me impressed when I was in when I was in college, I worked on a student film, a friend's student film that had giant hissing Madagascar cockroaches, and they he had like a box of them, and I was the cockroach wrangler with no experience or understanding of them. Hissing, wow. and, they, and, they, and then they go like it's awful. It's a terrible thing, and uh, and, and they and they make I can your tell hands it still affects you to weird. this day. Yeah, no, I'm traumatized. This is deep. I should probably talk to my therapist about this. You, you should. Um, and and I, I, I speaking of the Lalo stuff too. Uh, where did the idea for the candle come in? The that as oh. as a signifier that something oh, like that, that isn't just audio. That I can't you, yeah, swear. I, I like can't that. swear where it came from. I know. I know it was something that I, I had in my head that I wanted to do as a as a tease that somebody's coming in the apartment, and it's something I've seen happen in real life when the air pressure changes, mm-hmm. the candle will flicker, and it's. It probably, you know, stems from my love of blue velvet because there's these great close-ups of candles that, oh, you know, yeah. they have the great, the great noises that, that blow. So uh, I probably stole it from blue velvet and pitched it to the room that there should be a candle uh, on the table uh, so that when Howard comes in, Kim notices the, the flicker of the flame. And then when Howard's confronting them, we see and, and Jimmy and Kim see this little flicker of light that's like, what is what is why did that why did that happen and just to just to it helped it just helps build the dread of of what's about to happen that we know oh fuck something's coming uh nobody knows what but we probably after the cockroach scene we probably have a good idea i love the look on jimmy's face that he mean he's so thunderstruck because how he's looking at a ghost yeah because he does oh yeah because kim didn't tell him right kim right. didn't tell him right. oh, shit. And we, Marshall and I, we did all these great visual. There's so much stuff that is not in the cut. We did these close-ups of Bob's eye. Uh, he would open it, and the you know his his pupil would dilate. And we did this tilt shift lens, and we actually took the lens another uh, another David Lynch trick. Where we took the lens and put it in and out of the of the socket so that there was this sudden jolt of, of focus. And we you know we wanted to build this moment of of him re- of him seeing a ghost and it like we did back in 509 when he when jimmy's looking at the uh the juicer yep. kim's juicing and we we did that same trick with two cameras we were going to cut between uh uh jimmy and and shift his background and just have him this impact and for whatever reason it never worked it was just not working in the scene and what i came to realize is that the advantage we had had in 509 was that there was a slow buildup of the sound and the grinding. And when I did it with Lalo's entrance, it just came out of nowhere. It was right. like, what the hell was that? It was just shocking in a way that wasn't interesting or, you know, it just didn't work. And we just took it all out and we left it 
slow motion Lalo shadow coming in behind Patrick oh, yeah. cutting to Bob's reaction. That was and really that was, cool. It's really good. You know, we, we, in editing, we experimented and experimented and we spent a lot of time trying to make these visual gags work. And it, and we just learned that simple was better. But here's the thing. And we've talked about this a couple times, you know, this season on the podcast um, where, you know, Chris and I sort of talk as editors about, you know, the, the, where the audience is in relation to the characters. And this is a place where we were ahead of Jimmy, but not ahead of Kim. So in doing all that, it sounds really cinematically interesting, but I don't know if it would have ever worked because you're not surprising us. I mean, you're surprising us that he shows up, but you're not surprising us the way you're surprising Jimmy. In a, in a couple of things I've worked on where there was like sort of a horror aspect and directors have asked me, you know, oh, you need to show, um, you know, the, the monster creeping and then the surprise. And it's like, well, then it's not a surprise. You're, you're never going to make the surprise on the protagonist. If you already show us right. who, what's happening. I mean, it's, well, you know, I'm not going to say you're never, it's very hard to do. And um, mm -hmm. I've talked a little bit about, how in the last several years, probably starting with the last seasons of Breaking Bad, it has really come into my mind as an editor about the audience being sort of the third entity here. And 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 I'm always fascinated. That's why I keep like asking you guys, like a broken record, especially writers, what is it like? Are you guys thinking about where the audience is? Because you have played a very interesting game here. Not game, but you've played a very interesting, I guess, phenomenon here where we are ahead because we know that Lalo's alive and Kim knows, but Jimmy does not. So you're trying to do a couple different things in that, um, in that scene. So I'm just wondering, you know, what your thoughts are as far as that, because I don't know. I mean, I'm not there. I, I don't know the footage, but I'm just wondering if that would ever worked. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think it would have worked. I think yeah. the way we did it was the, the, the simple, just, being on Bob's face and seeing the horror. That was effective. Yeah. That was really effective. Yeah. Because he was the only one surprised in that, in that aspect of that. Anyway, yeah. Kim, Kim is surprised, alive. but not in the same way. I mean, she, mm -hmm. she had the benefit of knowing, Oh, the guy's still out there where, where this is absolutely, there is a ghost walking into my, my place where I live. And how, how is this possible? He's just shocked. And he know he just, yeah. I love well, I love how that's how we first see Lalo, you know, he is just like mm -hmm. this you, he's not in focus, he is kind of like a ghost. Mm -hmm. And then it reveals that it's yeah. him. I'm curious also um now that I mean I love how we've come full circle from the start of this podcast to talking about Howard. Um I'm curious when you guys said that um uh, uh, Bob and Ray did not know that you, Patrick, knew that you were going to meet your, that Howard was going to meet his demise. Um, and then when they found, I mean, did y'all talk about, hey, did you know? Because we knew. I mean, did was there a convo at that point around the kitchen island? Yeah, you know, I, I got a text from Seahorn, actually, first. She texted, <laughs> she goes, oh, no, I just read 607. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, Bob being a writer also, uh, you know, he's much more uh, antiseptic about it in terms of he's like, oh, he's like, oh, this is great. I mean, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. It's really great. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Ray, Ray was much more like, oh no, I, I oh, I'm gonna miss you. I, I, I don't want you to go. I mean, like, it was, you know, it's like we're in high school and like we're splitting up for co- different colleges. And Bob was more like, oh, good choice, good choice. You go have luck. <laughs> Did you then tell them, look, I've known for weeks or whatever? Uh, yeah, I did let them know, and, uh, and they, they were like, they were like, whoa! And, and, and then like they I said, said before, and you lived here all this time, and you didn't say anything. Well, there was just, there was just nothing, you know. But the track record was, I don't know what's coming up. I wait for the script to drop. When the script drops, then you know. I mean, our old gag was Ray and I and and, and Mando to a degree. You know, every week in seasons one and two, we just were like, are you alive? Are you dead? Are you alive? Are you dead? <laughs> It, you know, we got a little less, you know, a little more comfortable with that as the week went on. But I think because that was already instilled in us, the idea of like uh, not knowing, they would assume I didn't know either. So, hey, Pete, Peter, I know obviously this didn't happen, you know, in this instance. But do you find that there's ever a benefit to maybe like not letting this out even to your actors to get their reaction at the very end? Like even if you didn't tell Bob and this, <laughs> and like only Tony Tony Dalton knew and. And and uh, Patrick knew, and you just did this. Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe if you were shooting a really different way than we shoot, maybe maybe mm-hmm. that could work. But I, I mean, we, you know, it's kind of part of the it's part of the mutual respect that we don't play tricks on each other uh, like that. So I th- I think uh, look, I, we have a, the, this is the greatest cast I've ever worked with. Every single one of them, and so I think these guys all. Uh, they seem to, Patrick. You you tell you tell us. I feel like that the preparation always helps, and so there's not. It's like you know, suddenly saying uh, on the day, okay, this new thing's happening, uh, because even then you'd have to rehearse it. You'd have to rehearse yeah. it and work mm. it out. And the the artifice, the artifice of everything is to make it feel that it's happening for the first time. But in this case. Um, you know, we broke these episodes. We the writers' room was closed by the time we started shooting. We've been working on this for a year, so it's it's all the idea that it's 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 there is a spontaneity, but it's the spontaneity of the magic that happens on the set and the magic of 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 preparation. Uh, so I don't I, I don't know. I've never I've never tried doing doing a springing a, a change up on actors like that I, i'd be interested in hearing somebody what somebody else's experiences were uh but i, I feel it's a little bit of a mutual respect thing that that uh, and, and it's also you know we we that's why right at the beginning of the season we told patrick because also the other side of it is uh, just the logistic side is that, you know, th- hey, you're going to be available for other work at a certain point <laughs> this season. You know, you're going to be, hey, a, you know, good so, thing. Yeah, good so thing. But, but I mean, how crappy, how crappy would it be for, you know, to have somebody turning down work and then find mm. out at the last minute that they're, they're not going to be around. So uh, that's, that's, that's all, it's all, it's all a matter of taking the human element to, into account. Patrick, when you got the call, did you know what was getting ready to happen? You know, I, it's it, I call it it's the McKean call because I th- I believe you gave him the McKean call while he was driving, and I believe his response <laughs> it, I think it was this like it was Peter and Vince called and they're like, hey Michael, it's it's Peter and and I got Vince on the phone or something like that, and his response was, do I need to pull over? And they're like, <laughs> if this is if this is the death call, let me pull over. <laughs> oh, that's what he said. Okay, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so so that's that was sort of my marker on that. Um, but you know, it, it's great. I mean, what a gift. 
what a gift. What a gift to be on the show. What a gift to, to survive all through the seasons. And what a gift on the way to go out. I mean, and to be such a, as opposed to, and I've said this all the time along. Again, they don't write for stuff that doesn't, they don't write just to write for right sake. They write to the story that is. And in life, Howard's story may have just been like, he faded away. You know, Jimmy goes off and does his other thing and it just barrels towards its linkage with Breaking Bad and Howard just fades away. Um, and it could have been like that, but I'm glad it wasn't. And, and oh, oh, no. What? No, unfortunately, oh. we, we won't be able to talk about it this week because we have to I wrap it like, up. No, I feel like though we, we talked about a lot of cool shit and we actually got through like the whole episode. Thing. We did, but we never got to talk about John Innes and Jesse Innes oh, being man. in the episode oh. together. Oh. And we had uh, Irene Landry, Landry, Mrs. Landry came back. Yes. 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 From Ennis yeah, is no, so well. John Ennis is so great in this episode. I I love that that I love everything. You got to do is the the Angels in America uh, oh. that we got permission to use. Tony Kushner, Tony Kushner uh, gave permission for us to use Angels in America, and that's pretty. How that's cool! That's so that? awesome. That's the scene he's rehearsing when he's uh, shagging shopping <laughs> carts. Do you think that's is great. he doing a local production? Do you think, or is he maybe auditioning with that mont that? I feel like he's gonna go re- go audition. Yeah, that seems that seems right. <laughs> Albuquerque, you'd be you'd be amazed at the theater scene in Albuquerque. Yeah. yeah. Also, want I want to say thank you, Josh Fadum and Haley Holmes and Julian Bartfiglio for being yes. so great as the yeah. UNM team. Um, so I good. I laughed so much at that that picture of Julian in the mustache when Howard is, <laughs> Howard is looking at it. And but also the the dark crystal. <laughs> yes, I the love that. Sling. That was yeah. That was just a. I don't even know why we did that, but we just thought it would be funny. Well, and if oh, you if you love if you love the UNM kids, uh, I I I don't know if this has been announced yet, and I'll I'm sure Melissa will tell me, but. Um, we sort of teased it last week, but Ariel Levine wrote some of these training videos, and um, you just might see those UNM kids uh, take center stage in these training videos. Awesome. You just nice. might. You just might. Well, thank you guys for taking the, the time on a Mother's Day, on a Sunday, in the middle of the day. It's 85 degrees here inside my office, so uh, it's, it's balmy. And I grew up in the desert, so I know, I know warm. But yeah, thank you guys so much for coming on and, and talking about what you do and, and sharing your stories. And, and I, you know, it's such a we, we keep coming back to what a team effort this is. And and, you know, we're always talking about, you know, oh, Marshall did this or Catherine did that. And, you know, the other actors are always, you know, very, very critical of you, Patrick. No, they're everybody's. 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 everybody's no, it, it's, I knew it. it is, I knew it. You gotta listen to the podcast. No, it. It is. Uh, no, it, it's a testament to what a what a team effort it is. And if you're interested, by the way, in in hearing more of those team, um, in the sort of interim between these these uh, parts of the season, we're gonna do sort of like little. Um, more casual kind of like bonus mini podcasts um, featuring some of the names that you hear uh, on this podcast all the time. Some of the people from the crew, some of the, the, you know, sort of supporting cast members and they're just going to be sort of more less structured, uh, less, even less structured than this. That's right. Um, It's hard to believe, but, uh, but yeah, so that, that'll, that'll still be, so the podcast feed will, will still be uh, up and and running. And um, uh, so, you know, we end every episode, by having one of our guests um, do their best uh, Saul Goodman style Better Call Saul. 
And Patrick, since this is uh, this is sort of Howard's swan song, I, I, I would love if you could take us out. Oh, before you do, um, thank you very much, Jen Carroll, for pulling these things out of thin air and putting them together. And uh, also thank you, Mike Behrman Trout, for, for being for being my, being my co-pilot. You and, get it, baby. And uh, hey, what about me? What, I thought I was your co-pilot. <laughs> you're the Kelly. You're the co-host. Okay. We can't, I mean, because he's not union, so we can't say he's my assistant, and he also okay, isn't, okay. and he's a stuffed, he's a stuffed bear. <laughs> a non-union bear. That's, that's right. That's the worst, the worst yeah, kind. that's right. Um, and, uh, and also thanks to Chris Sullivan for, for no reason in particular. No reason in particular. And um, so, Patrick, will you, will you do, do us the honor of, of, uh, of, of, of taking us out? Yes, yes, Chris. I'd, I'd like to do that very much. If you're in need of legal help, if you're in trouble... Better call Saul. Oh. <laughs> Yay! Yay.